We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Smith, recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Awesome. Ah, very good, very good. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Grab a chair, grab a chair. I just think I was worth coming from Auckland, uh, Wellington, via Auckland, uh, all the way here just to see Rob win a competition. I don't know how many competitions I've seen you win, Rob, but you always win, especially if there's a popularity value to it. You good? Can I give the bass player a hand? That's awesome. It It might not have been him, but give him a hand. That's awesome. Very, very good. A little bit of rock and roll at the end there. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anyone win a competition like that after doing so badly, right? <laughs> to clearly, to clear, that's a bit of New Zealand for you, right? Let's cheer for the person who obviously did the worst. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, there's something in that that we probably need to evaluate. But anyhow, anyhow, uh, it's great to be here. My name's Jordan, if we haven't met, and um, I live in Wellington, and I'm part of Equipers Church in Wellington, and actually... A year and a half ago, I stopped being the senior pastor of the church, and now I, have, I do a couple of different contract roles. Once, uh, one of the roles I play is as a brand strategy, uh, mark, brand marketing strategist for Swarm, and that's awesome fun. We've got lots of cool clients. Uh, one is a nail gun company. Uh, so I know more about nail guns than I used to, which is still very little. Uh, but we know enough to sell them, which is good. And, uh, and it's awesome fun. And I also do uh, mental health training in the workplace. And um, so I'm actually in Dunedin three more times this year. Uh, but that'll be with placemakers and Myco doing um, uh, t- training managers of how to manage mental health issues in the workplace. And it's pretty awesome fun. Uh, doing that and uh, amazing opportunity just to uh, just to connect with people I wouldn't connect with otherwise. Mostly middle-aged men, uh, pretty grumpy, got serious mental health problems, uh, and so it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of a lot of press in New Zealand around our the challenges for teenagers around mental health, and I think it's important that that's a focus and lots of energy gets put there. Uh, but the other big uh, group statistically in New Zealand with high levels of mental ill health, um, uh, middle-aged men. And so it's awesome to get an opportunity to speak encouragingly to them. Sometimes I talk for eight whole hours. So if you think this next 40 minutes is the longest 40 minutes in the history of your life, come along to one of my courses and let me talk to you for eight hours. Uh, I do get a little tired after doing two of those back to back, but uh, the jokes are still coming, let me assure you that. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so it's good to be here. And I want to talk today, because it's Father's Day, I want to talk about being a man and living your life as a man, like a man. Um, And I I always think about um, my dad is the best example of manhood that I've ever had in my life. He's 100% faithful. He's 100% committed. You know, a lot of people are faithful, a lot of people are committed, but my dad is one of the 100 percenters. Uh, he knows how to get it done. Uh, he knows how to keep going. And he has huge vision, huge passion for the transformation of the world according to the powers of the kingdom. Uh, he puts huge amount of effort into getting behind us as kids. I remember when I was in the UK, we were saving up and uh, we sent 10,000 pounds back to New Zealand, which is pretty good because at the time the exchange rate was like three times. So it turned into $30,000 on the way through the internet to New Zealand somehow as if by magic. Um, but a year and a half later when we got back to New Zealand, my dad had bought and sold and bought and sold with our money and he, uh, it was worth $96,000 after that. You know, that's, that's the sort of dad you wish you had, right? 
and uh, and uh, he's just awesome. And I think about I had a, uh, a whole bunch of really good uncles as well. My dad had uh, two older brothers, and my mum had two other brothers. So uh, my mum was from a blended family, so she had three other brothers as well. So there was a real uncle heavy. We had a real uncle heavy family, which meant there was a lot of terrible jokes uh, got made. There were a lot of overweight men and stubbies in, in my ch- early childhood. Uh, and uh, but one of the things they used to do is uh, all these blokes used to all, everyone used to have to work on their own house because nobody had any money uh, and so they would all whenever there was a big job it would everyone would be there the whole family would be there aunties would be making food to keep these large men moving uh, and uh, I can remember one day uh, we were busting up a big concrete pad at one of my uncle's houses and uh, there was only one sledgehammer but it was okay because everyone's getting tired um, and every all the blokes had to take 10 big hits Right, and if you did, if you, anyone was light, they just didn't, didn't count. And I had to be full, 10 hits with everything you had, and then you pass the hammer on. Uh, and then all of us kids got to have a go as well. One kid got hurt, but it was all right. He came good. Six weeks later, he was fine. <laughs> but I can just remember uh, something happening in me where I thought, now that's how you live life. You live life with everything you've got. 10 big hits and then pass it on, give it everything you've got. And I think it's true in terms of how we live our lives psychologically. Whether you're a man or a woman, you need to live your life with everything you've got. You know, the actual truth is you only get born one time, right? And you die one time, that's the whole story, right? We know there's other stuff after that for those of us who follow Jesus, but we don't really know what it is, right? God hasn't told us really what it is. I think there's a big reason we don't really know how the afterlife works and the end times works. I think the main reason is because God would like us to focus on what we're doing right now, give it 10 good hits and pass the hammer on. And so there's a scripture from Ecclesiastes which I want us to read again. Uh, I read it this morning. That's why I say again, because we read it this morning. Uh, This is from the Message Translation, and I'm dedicating this to you, Ryan, because I thought of you when I read the bit about the scarves. It says, this sees life. Eat bread with gusto. This is where the Bible is speaking directly against your paleo diet. Eat bread with gusto. How Do I get an amen or the peace of lovers? Right? Drink wine with a robust heart. People, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know about wine in church, but it's in the Bible, right? If you're going to drink wine, you should drink wine with a robust heart, one or two glasses at the most, but drink it robustly. Enjoy it. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively. I'm thinking of you, Ryan. Dress festively every morning. Dress. Don't skimp on colours or scarves. I think that'd be awesome. You might need to lose the mo if you're going to wear a scarf as well. Seize life, right? Relish life with the spouse that you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. And it's all you will ever get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. (sighs) There's neither work. Oh, hold on. Did I miss a bit? Okay. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And do it heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. There's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you are surely headed. Amen. Just think for a moment, the company of the dead, that means at some point you die. Up until then, we should give it what we've got. We should grab hold of things. If we're doing something, let's do it with everything we've got. And on Father's Day, come on, Father's, let's be dads with everything we've got. Let's make sure we're wrestling the right amount of time. We've got, if you have children, your main job is wrestling them. 
right? You've got to wrestle them and you have to never let them win. Right, very please write that down. Do never let your children win at wrestling. If they beat you, they beat you, right? But hopefully it's not until you're at least in your 50s. Otherwise, I'll hear about it and I'll be like. <laughs> One of the things that's always important is the way you continue to win the wrestling. I have a 14-year-old son, nearly 15. He's like 78 kilos. Um, so I do have to pay attention. I have to pay a lot of attention. And part of the challenge is that uh, he has boundaries, right? Whereas I will go through the throat if I have to. Uh, and uh, he's scared to do that still. So that's how I'm winning at the moment. I hope he doesn't listen to this. And uh, Okay, so um, do you know that I reckon that... I talked about the Apostle Paul this morning and I want to talk about it again because he's a, he is a really strong person in the New Testament. How many people have read the book of Acts? Give me a quick wave. It's really worth a read and, and actually it reads best, the book of Acts reads best if you read the whole book. And that's, I know that's quite a big read, but it's actually easy to listen to. So, and it doesn't take that long. Like it's less than the length of a movie, I think, if you just listen to the book of Acts on the Uversion by app on your smartphone, you can just listen to it. Uh, and it just tells an amazing story story of this guy, particularly this guy, the Apostle Paul, his life, this journey that he goes on and all the challenges of it when he first got, God knocked him off a horse and then he had to escape from people trying to kill him. Uh, he's this guy, he's just got a strong mind and he, all the way through the book of Acts, he, he just does a whole lot of stuff that other people don't want him to do based on what he knew God was telling him because he was living with like an internal conviction. I think, I don't know what the percentages would be for you, but I reckon about 50% of the time, I'm behaving in a way based on what other people think. And about 50% of the time, I'm, based, I'm operating based on what I think God wants, how I think God wants me to live. I reckon we just need to shift that from 50% to 51%, 52% of the time, living our life according to what we know God is calling us to. How do you know you're living according to what other people are thinking, what other people are saying? You know, I don't know if you, when you walk into a room, do you ever feel a bit insecure? It's because you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you. When the, when the song, you know, when, you think, when you're at church and there's a song and the chorus and you're like, man, I wish I had sweet moves like Jason, I could dance like Jace, right? Uh, you know, the white Michael Jackson's what they call him, you know. Uh, it's a bad joke now. Anyway, moving on. The... Um, the you know, but you don't, you, you want to get into some stuff, but you don't, you hold back. And I reckon that's a really good sign that you're holding back based on what people around you think. Do you know what people mostly around you, what they mostly think about you is nothing. Because everyone else around you is mainly thinking about, not mainly, only thinking about themselves. They're not worried about you at all. They're worried about themselves and what you think about them. And I reckon there's a real challenge to live like the Apostle Paul, to live like my uncle swinging that hammer, right? Giving it everything we've got. And we've got to get over what other people think of us. Is that all right? We've got to get into it. We've got to get into it. Okay, the first, this morning I talked about we've got to start out blind. If we want to do something great, we have to start out useless. Like all the musicians on stage today, they started out terrible, right? Truly, truly terrible. And we think, man, I could never do that. Well, the thing that stops us doing that is we're, we're not prepared to be bad at something. But if we're going to start, we've got to start out bad. We've got to start out not knowing what we're doing. We've got to trust others. Do you know, I think that in the other point this morning that I didn't get to is we've got to be prepared to go here, there and everywhere and try things. We've got to try things out. And there's an amazing story in Acts uh, chapter 
16, where the Apostle Paul tries to go in one direction and he can't. And he tries to go in another direction and he can't. He tries to go in a third direction and he can't. And then that night he has a dream about going to Macedonia. And he went to, he went to Macedonia and then two amazing things happened. The, the first church was planted in Europe, which allowed the gospel to spread all around the world. Right? Post the, post the Industrial Revolution, the gospel spreads all around the world out of Europe because the Apostle Paul tried to go here and he tried to go there and he tried to go there and then he finally went to Europe. And it also says in Acts 16 that he went to the city in Macedonia and he tried to find a place of prayer, which is where the, the Jews of the city, if there was less than a synagogue, the Jews would gather and pray, right? So he's looking for some Jewish men and what he found instead was a Gentile woman who responded to Jesus. And so not only did we have our first church in Europe, but we had the first church led by a woman because the Apostle Paul was prepared to try this and to try that and then finally hear another idea. So often we think we have to have it all mapped out. Well, I'll do this and I'll follow my career path forever. But I reckon God's calling some of us, some of you my age, some of you older, actually to branch out and try something different. Think differently about yourself and move into the future. And so tonight I want to pick up another story or two stories in the book of Acts. And so we'll read from Acts chapter 21 and verse 7 to 14. So it's going to go up on the screen as well. I'm pretty sure. Give me a thumbs up. Yeah, thank you guys. I gave them the scriptures during the songs. So they're pretty onto it, these guys. <laughs> Did I speak too soon? Acts 21. Here we go. But he said, oh, turn it off. I'll tell the story first because that's the very end of it. Turn it off. Hide it. Okay, sorry. Okay, so late in his life, the Apostle Paul, he's, been, he's raised this, all, all this money and he's, bringing, he's trying to get it back to Jerusalem. He's traveled all around the churches that he planted. He's, he's gathered this money, massive offering. And the reason he gathered the money was because he was trying to support the Judean church because there's a, there's a really big famine. Uh, so he gathered all this money from the Gentile church. He's bringing it back to Jerusalem because there's this big famine, right? And, and the reason he started gathering the money is because there was a prophet and the prophet's name was Agabus and Agabus prophesied that there was gonna be a huge famine in Judea. So in preparation for the famine, so Paul hears the prophecy and in preparation for that famine, he starts gathering and collecting money. In some places for over a whole year, he collects this money as an offering for the Judean church. And now he's traveling back from the farthest edges of his mission, traveling back to Jerusalem. But the Jews are trying to catch him. And the Jews live in Jerusalem. That's why the name sounds similar. Right? He's trying to, get, trying to get back there. And he bumps into this guy, Agabus, again. Who was Agabus? He was the prophet who prophesied the famine that why Paul was collecting the money. And then the famine happened. That's why he's bringing the money, right? So this guy, Agabus, he's the real deal, right? Some of the prophecies I give are like, you, Jason, God says he loves you, thumbs up. Uh, you know, but that's a different, this prophecy was more like an actual prophet where it wasn't just a word of encouragement. That's true. That's truly God's word for you though. Yeah. This is actually probably probably not a specific thing, like a prediction type of thing, which is sort of a bit different to what, I, what we, because all Christians can prophesy and encourage each other, but this guy's predicting things that are happening. So anyway, they're all hanging out in somebody's house. It's a guy called Simon. They're hanging out at his house, and they're just, they're just chilling, eating, hanging out. And this guy, Agabus, comes in, and he takes Paul's belt. I don't know if anyone's come up to you and taken your belt before. It's a relatively... For, it's relatively intrusive, right? He takes Paul's belt 
And like a true prophet, he ties himself up with Paul's belt. Ties himself up with Paul's belt. It's like the Old Testament dudes. There was one guy in the Old Testament who God told him to prophesy by lying on his side for hundreds of days, then rolling over and lying on his other side for hundred days, then cut off all his hair and to throw a third of his hair away. Some of you seem to have done that, throw a third of your hair away. Uh, and then the other th- another third of his hair, set it on fire. Always cut it off first, then set it on fire. And then the third third of his hair, the last third of his hair, is to cut at it with a sword. All right, so it's a prophecy like that one. He ties himself up with Paul's belt. And then he says this, uh, the owner of this belt is going to be bound, captured and bound in Jerusalem. Right? Everyone's like, okay, this is Agabus. And they're putting two and two together. He's the guy who predicted the famine. Now he's predicting that Paul's going to get captured in Jerusalem. He's going to be bound and tied up and captured, right? And so obviously Paul decides to go in the other direction. No, he's carrying on anyway. And this is what he says. They all start crying. They all start weeping. And then then we'll go to this scripture that I put up earlier. It says this. The next stop... Uh, go to the end of it. What was the last verse? 13, 13 and 14. Yeah, go to 13 and 14. I'm really sorry, I wrote it down wrong. It says this. Paul says, why all the weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to go and be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So here's a guy predicting and he's saying, what, what you're doing is gonna end up in trouble. It's not gonna work out well for you. And Paul says, I know it's going to end up in trouble and I don't care if it's double as bad as that. Because here's the thing, if you're going to live your life with a meaning and with a purpose, if you're going to live a life that makes a difference, you have to be prepared to go against the flow. You have to be prepared to disagree. You have to be prepared to know what God's called you to and pursue it. If you're not prepared to do that, you're always going to find yourself, just like I do, being bent and moved around by what other people think, what other people feel, even good people. Obviously, we all disagree with the devil. I'm not, I'm not, you should disagree with the devil and it shouldn't be that hard, right? What I'm talking about is is well-meaning people who are trying to give you an easy way out. Oh, you don't need to, oh, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe do this. Here's another idea. I can remember when I was 20. No, I wasn't. I was 19. I was an apprentice engineer. It was a good job. I was getting $7.40 an hour. I was bringing in the big bucks. Actually, it was good money, the, uh, sadly, uh, the, uh, back in the olden days. And um, so I had this job, and um, uh, someone had presented me the opportunity of going to teacher's college. Someone said, hey, they're doing a mid-year intake. intake. You should think about doing, going to teacher's college. And I was like, why? You know, for some reason they thought I'd be good at it. Maybe you should think about this. And I was like, oh, my, oh maybe. You know? and, and then I just let, let it out of my head. And then I was in praise and worship at church, and we were singing away. Yeah, that's me. I was be singing away. I can remember I was actually standing there in a worship song singing. And then I felt as strongly as I've ever felt God speak to me. And God said, go to Teachers College and go right now. Because int- I had to get my, all my paperwork done that week to meet the deadline to get in the intake, right? And, the, and I really felt God say, go to Teachers College and go right now. So I applied and got in. 
Everybody thought this was a dumb idea. Everybody did. Both my parents, they're both teachers, they thought it was a dumb idea. <laughs> right? Because I, oh, I, I, was, I was being chopping and changing, right? Because I'd only just got this flimmin' engineering apprenticeship, you know, before I'd been lifting furniture. Before that, I was doing nothing. And uh, they're like, what's well, so this? You need to focus, right? And my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife of 20 something years, she also thought it was a dumb idea. I'll explain to you why, okay? So we'd been going out for a couple of years or uh, a year, right? And I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever been going out for a year? Right, okay, so this is what happens. How many of you haven't got a girlfriend or boyfriend yet? Yeah, okay, let me, this is for you people. Is that right? Okay, Joker Tim, this is for you. Store this one away, right? Once you start going out, you start off doing like a bit of hand-holding, right? Not straight away. <laughs> Wash your hands. Okay, the, um, there's things that matter to girls that don't matter to boys. You, you find that out later, right? So you get the orange, sticky orange off your hands, and then um, you start off with the hand-holding, and it doesn't stay there, right? So the relationship progresses, right? But you're, and at some point, you need to get married, Right? And because the, the train has left the station and it's on a schedule. <laughs> okay? Right? Feelings happen. There's feelings happen, right? And so you need to get married, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to teacher's college for three years. I don't really want to get married till after teacher's college. So like a train is traveling north at 80 miles an hour, right? And I was like, this isn't going to work. So we had to do, like, we had to take a break. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't, it was, this was an unpopular decision. I didn't want to take a break. Chrissy didn't want to take a break, so we broke up on the, I think it was like the 23rd of December. This is a big song in our house. It's last Christmas, came in my heart. They are... <laughs> Right, but it was a decision. It was a decision I felt God tell me to do, and it was a decision that made me suffer. So it was God's will, and it broke my heart. Right? I, I just want to suggest to you if you want to live a life that's going to make a difference, that's going to mean something, if you're going to live a life that means something after you're dead, you're going to have to make decisions that break your own heart. You're going to have to make calls. You're going to have to listen to the voice in your head. And everyone else will tell you, you don't need to be that extreme. You don't need to go that hard out. Maybe do something slightly easier, right? Everything that's slightly easier will get you to the top of the mountain slower or will get you to the bottom of the mountain eventually. If we're gonna get to the top of the mountain and into God's purpose, we need to take each step uphill, right? Each step uphill, amen? Everybody said amen? Okay, it all worked out. Right? It all worked out, but it didn't mean it was fun. It didn't mean it was fun even for a minute. It wasn't fun writing long letters and sending to them to the UK. Because after we broke up, Chrissy's like, I'm going to go as far away as I can. Right? It, didn't, it wasn't fun, but it actually, it's the strength of our whole relationship now. Okay, let's look at Acts chapter 17. How many people, if you've got your Bible with you, why don't you grab your uh, phone or your bi- actual Bible? Who's got an actual real Bible like a grown-up's? person, 
Yeah, at the back there, good on you, good on you. Who is like a young person like me, hip and cool with your smart telephone? Um, yeah, who's got a young person with their phone but they don't have any data? It's okay, because Jason's turned on his hotspot, so just hook onto that. The, um, Acts chapter 27. And I want us to read, like, how many people are up for a bit of story time? Yeah? We'll read the story. This is an amazing journey. So uh, Paul goes ahead and goes to Jerusalem, and just without giving away too many spoilers, he does get captured by the Jews. He does get thrown into prison. He does go to court. And eventually he decides to appeal to Caesar. And this is Paul's clever trick. He wants to get to Rome, so he appeals to Caesar. Because like, the best way to get to Rome would be to go to court in Rome. I would be like, it's actually easy to just get Ryanair fly. It's easy. You can go to Rome. There's other ways to do it. But he decides the best way to get to Rome would be in the bottom of a prison ship uh, across the Mediterranean, right? And so they're traveling across the Mediterranean. It says in verse 1, When the time came, we set, for it, set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, not Julius Caesar, a different one, okay? Just in case, don't get overexcited. A captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristocrus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left uh, on a ship whose home port was and on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, we docked at Sidon. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit his friends. And they fed him and looked after him. And then putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds. Okay? Strong headwinds, we sort of think, oh, that's pretty tough. But these boats, they didn't really go, they didn't point very high. So these old boats, they didn't have the sailing technology we have now. They didn't point very high. Strong headwinds are, are going to push you backwards because they didn't, couldn't angle the sails quite the way we do now, right? So they encountered some strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. Have you ever, has that ever happened? Like, like, it's not like, it's not like you encountered a nuclear holocaust, right? But you encountered strong headwinds. But even strong headwinds that creates a difficulty keeping the ship on course. So over time, you find yourself moving slightly further and slightly further and slightly further away from your passion. You move slightly further and slightly further and slightly further away from prayer. It's been one more and two more and three more days since you really did your a regular devotion in the Word of God. It's not, that, it's not that you've stopped following Jesus, but you are if we quizzed you and shine a bright light in your face. And if you're honest which you wouldn't be. But if you were honest, you would have to admit that you're off course. Do you know, and there's people in the room, and if you were honest, you'd have to admit, no, I am off course. This story's not in the Bible for the people, who, it's not, the Bible's not for the people who think, I'm all, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. You know, the, God didn't bother writing a Bible for you. The Bible is for people who are prepared to admit, no, I am off course. I need to hear this. Right. Why are you off course? Well, it's because of strong headwinds. So this, it doesn't say the ship was off course because these people were evil. It doesn't say the ship was off course because Paul was going in the wrong direction. He was a backslider. No, come on. When you're off course, let's be real, it's because the life is hard. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Anybody got a job? Anybody got a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Anyone married? You want to have children? <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> right? It's not easy. Do you, know what, do you know why they pay you? You know, you have a job. I know, Ryan, you've got a job. Do you know why they pay you, Ryan? It's because your job sucks. 
they, if, it's like, if they call for volunteers, oh, who wants to do this? Be like, no? Okay, we'll pay you something. Oh, okay, that sounds right. Like, we've got to understand, when we get up in the morning and go to work, it's not for fun. Right? There's headwinds. There are things that buffet us, that push us off course, right? So we sailed north of Cyprus, between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, arriving and landing at Myrna, Myra, in the province of Lycia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria, right? So they got blown so far off course, they have to change ships. So they get on a new ship going from Alexandria and they're bound for Italy. And then we all jumped on board. We had several days of slow sailing. After great difficulty, we finally neared CN. You can't can't have a word that starts with CN. The founder had a terrible speech impediment. Welcome to Snyder. But the wind was against us. Right? So slow going, they finally get to a place that doesn't even have a proper name. And the wind is still against us. So we sailed across to Crete and then along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salome. Nah. I don't know if this sounds like life to you. It sounds like life to me. We tried to get here, and we tried to get there, and then we snuck along the side here, and we finally got to a place that sounds like smelly fish. <laughs> we struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. The weather gets worse for sea travel as you get later in the year. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Many said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. A shipwreck, the loss of cargo and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner rather than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbour, Bad name for it, you know. A poor place to spend the winter. Most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbour with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up the anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of typhoon strength called the nor Easter, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship in the wind, so they gave up and let her run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Calder. With great difficulty, we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us, and the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars to satir us off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time, and finally Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not let, not left Crete. We've all got friends like this, right? 
You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage, none of you are going to lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. <laughs> this, uh, this is an interesting approach, right? So for days, right, for days and days, no sign of the sun, no sign of the stars. They don't know where they are. They're worried they're off the coast of Africa somewhere. Now, how big is Africa? Big, right? That's, this is, they're worried that they're off the coast of Africa. Once they all lose hope, Paul says, take courage. You won't die, but the ship will sink. I don't know if that sounds positive to you, but it sounds mostly like I'd be a little bit like, shut up, Paul. (laughs) For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his glorious goodness has granted safety for everyone who's sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we'll be shipwrecked on an island. (laughs) Should have listened to me. We're all gonna sink, but it's gonna be fine. We won't die. Why? Because God told me. A voice in his head. A voice in his head has told him again. He's on a shipwreck and he's standing up amongst the sailors saying, we're all, the ship's gonna sink, but we're not gonna die because a voice in my head told me so. I know, sometimes you need a voice in your head to help you know when to cross the street. Not now, not now, now, right? But sometimes you need a voice in your head to help you to hold on after many, many days lost at sea. No sign of the sun, no sign of the stars. You need a voice in your head. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen nights of storm. As we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was nearby. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. The sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the sailors, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat. And let it drift away. Here's a perfect idea. Next time you're in a storm or one of life's storms, cut the ropes to the lifeboat. What's, what's, the, what's the little backstop you've got? What's the little thing you'll jump into once the big plan of God sinks? What's that little, what's your idea? John, when I was a school teacher, I used to start each week of my planning. You have to plan in priority. What am I going to do this week? And I would start by writing in my at the top of my planning book, what job I would do if they fire me this week. (laughs) I generally rotated around being uh, a sales assistant at Sterling Sports because I think that'd be cool. um, But we can't live our life thinking, what will we do if the God thing doesn't work out? What we're going to do is, do you know what happens if the God thing doesn't work? The ship sinks. Right? You you don't need a lifeboat. In fact, if you hold on to your lifeboat, you're more likely to fail. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried you haven't eaten food or touched food for two weeks. He said, please eat something now for your own good. For not a hair on your head will perish. He took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke off a piece and ate it. And then everyone was encouraged to begin eating, all 276 of us who were on board. This is a big boat. 
After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the rest of the food overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut the anchors and let the and left them in the sea, and then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards the shore. But they hit a sh- shallow and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out the plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. And the others to hold on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Do you know it's great to have a plan? It's really good to have a plan. And it's really good when a plan works out perfectly, right? But it's really, really good to have a plan for when the plan doesn't work out. So what's your plan for when the plan doesn't work out? Paul's plan was this one, dive into the sea (laughs) or grab a plank, right? If we're going to pursue God, we have to have a commitment that says we're going to keep going this way against the wind. We're going to keep going this way against the storm. We'll throw away anchors when we need to. We'll cut the lifeboat when we need to. We'll throw the food overboard if we have to. We'll throw the tackle overboard if we have to. We'll throw all the cargo overboard if we have to. If the ship breaks up, we'll swim for shore. You know, when it comes to the end of your life, will you still be swimming for sure? Or at what point will you let go of the dream? At what point will you hold back from what God's called you to? Some of us think, we're, some of us think our lives are ordinary, but every day you get up and go, for work, go to work, there's an opportunity to encourage. Every day you talk to a neighbour, there's an opportunity to invite them, to speak to them, to share life with them and be part of God's solution for this city. But if we're wrapped up in our own storm and forgetting the purpose that God has for us, we'll end up living an ordinary life when we could be living an extraordinary life in exactly the same circumstances. Like I said uh, this morning and already tonight, uh, two years ago I went from having a salaried job to sort of operating as a contractor and with my own business, which has been awesome fun. Like, it's been amazing, right? Uh, every part of it has been brilliant except uh, the, um, the fact that nobody is paying me. Right, and uh, we have a mortgage, four children, two are high school, two are primary school. Um, my wife has a business as well, which is which has grown in the time, which is which is awesome as well. But it's not a it's not a business, not a massive business, not a not a proper salary. So uh, I crashed my car at thirty kilometers an hour, but the other car had a tow bar which ran right through all of the radios at the front of my Subaru Legacy, and it was all, it was all written off. It was, it was awesome. It was just so good. So, and then I bought a Toyota Starlet, 1992, which is awesome. And it's a good car for Maddie to learn to drive, and I thought it's a good car. It's not a grown-up's car. When you're a 45-year-old, 43-year-old man, you don't want to drive around a 1992 Toyota Starlet. You don't want to. But I was like, okay, we'll there's all the money we got. We'll do this, right? We'll buy this car and we'll drive that route. And then um, Maddie crashed that car and that was written off. Oh. It doesn't take much to write off a 1992 Toyota Starlet. 
She crashed at about 10 kilometers an hour into a pole, which smashed the headlight. I thought, doesn't matter, I'll kick it straight, put a headlight in. Not allowed to do that anymore. They do that when the warrant finish check, they check for bendy bits in the car, and there was too many bendy bits in the structural part of the car. Um, and so, fair enough, we had to uh, take the car to the wreckers. At the wreckers, I met a new guy, a new friend, Uncle Khan. He runs the wreckers at Seaview. Awesome dude. He's, he's Pakistani, just, it's not relevant, but he's Pakistani. And, uh, and uh, he claimed that. I could trust him because he's Pakistani. And I was like, I've seen a lot of cricket. And uh, anyhow, moving on. <laughs> so he says to me, I can only give you 100 bucks. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to buy a very good car with $100. And, uh, and, he's, and I said, really? I'm like, it's got really good bits on it. It's a really good motor. Gearbox is solid. It's only got one coin. He goes, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he said, I'm going to make a lot of money on it, but I'm only going to give you $100. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not telling you how much I'm going to sell everything for. This is a business. This is how this whole business works. He explained the whole system. I said, ah, okay. And he said, he's got five of them already. You know, one's banged on the right-hand side with another one. We've got another one. Exactly. There's one banged in the front. And I said, have you got any that aren't banged up? And he goes, I've got this one. And there was one that just appeared as if by magic. And now in 1996, it's not the S model. My other one was the S model, which I think means it had a clock. And this one doesn't have a clock. <laughs> this one doesn't have a clock, but it does have a little hole where a clock could go. I and mean, it's got a plastic cover there. And someone explained to me that that plastic cover probably cost more for them to make than a clock would have. But they have to do that so you know you didn't get the good model, you cheapskate, right? Has four doors though, so less frustration, less arguments getting in another car. It's an auto, less likely to be crashed. Uh, and it's a 1996, which means that it has ABS brakes and our airbag. For, if you're in the car by yourself, you'll be fine. Don't take passengers. Right, anyway. So he said, I said, well, how much would you give me, how much, he wanted two six for Starlet number two. The first one was called Tom, the new one we're calling Thompson. They, um, he wanted $2,600. I, I said, how much can I have it for if I give you this other one? I, I didn't tell him the name. but And he said, you know, this one for 1900 So I jumped on my banking app, looked at all the different accounts, children's accounts, other people's accounts. <laughs> I thought, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll be close. So I rang up Byron, who I work for. I got $1,000 of commission ahead of time, right? So hopefully the customers pay him so that, Anyway, got a grand off him. Then I scraped everything else together. Managed to knock Khan down by 50 bucks. Yeah. 1850, which is what it needed to be. Otherwise, I couldn't make the deal work. And I spent every dollar we had on a 1996 Toyota Starlet without a clock. I was like, oh, awesome, worked out. I needed the car for Monday. This was like a Thursday. I was going to pick up the car on the Friday. And so the next morning, Friday, and I, I want to be really honest, I would prefer to still be driving my, my, my Legacy Turbo. It was a, a car I really enjoyed driving. It, was, it did 220 kilometers an hour. Uh, that's where the chip was. I was planning to get a new chip, but that's where it was chipped out at. It was an amazing car to drive. It wasn't, it wasn't inexpensive to drive, especially at that speed. But I would prefer to drive that. I don't know about you, I'd prefer to drive that. But I was like, no, nah, this is a car. It will get me to Wanganui for a meeting with the Main Street people. Get me to cross to Masterton for team night. It's going to be good, which I needed for the Monday, right? But there was all the money gone in this car. And I was, dropped the kids at school, dropped Elliot at school, then I was dropping Maddie at school, and I got a phone call from Chrissy, who was at home, and she says, I've just um, opened up some letters from the IRD. You know how they send you an email that says you've got a letter, but then you have to log onto the website, find your real me password, and download the letter? I'm like, could you just send us a letter? 
I don't care if someone else reads it. Just email me the information, man. I don't care. Like, who cares if I lose? I don't care who gets my tax information. I'm not, I'm not proud. <laughs> Privacy. Anyway, so Chrissy finally set aside an hour and a half to read a letter from the IRD. And uh, she said they've done a reassessment of our tax across the last two years and they've put $17,000 in our account. It's there this morning. Because see, here's the thing. If, you, if you've got a purpose, you can just keep going. Right? And even if you're just swimming, even if you're not swimming, giving up swimming, I'd given up swimming. I'd just hanging on to a plank that floats. Right? Sometimes we want it to be better than that, and sometimes it is. But here's the thing. We don't need faith for when it's brilliant. We need faith for when it's been 14 nights of no stars and 14 days of no sun, and the ship is breaking up. But we can still swim for sure. And once we've run out of swim, we can grab a plank that floats. Do you know, I just think that this Father's Day, let's make a decision to live a life that means something. Live a life that has an impact. Live a life where we've got a destination. And I want to suggest to you that if you're still breathing, (laughs) tomorrow morning, you should dress festively. Don't skimp on scarves or colours. Nice one, Raylene. Raylene's got the scarf on. Nice work. Don't skimp on scarves and colours. Come on, whatever we find to do tomorrow, let's do it heartily. Come on, you're right in the middle of the purposes of God. And some of you are like, but I can't be in the purposes of God. It's been 14 days of no stars and 14 days of no... No, you are. You're right in the middle of God's plan. You're exactly where He would like you to be right now. See how much better it is now that you're here? It's just a way better sermon. Where were you? Just resting up. Yeah, I want to I pray for some people just before we close. So maybe, maybe stand to your feet. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.